this week we'll talk about becoming a data-led professional. And we have a special guest today, uh, Arbit. And uh, for those who don't know, Arbit actually is one of the first people who joined Data Talks Club. I think uh, maybe you were one of the first 10 or 20, something like this. And I remember I asking guess. you some tips uh, uh, because yeah. your title is uh, uh, like I checked your LinkedIn and it was uh, what, something about uh, growth and uh, community. Community. Yeah. And of course, uh, I immediately became interested and started to ask you different questions about hey, how do I grow the community? And Arpit is also a founder, the founder of Data Led Academy which is a to-go place for any, everybody who is interested in data, who wants to learn how to work with data, how to, uh, to, to learn everything about data and you want to ask any data-related question. Uh, and uh, this is the place to look for answers. So welcome, Arpit. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Alexei, for the, for the intro. Excited to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. I think uh, Data, Data Talks is a really great community. Um, excited to be part of it. And just to let people know, Data Led Academy is not exactly a community. It's not a Slack community, but essentially it's a place to uh, learn how to work with data. So we have like a lot of free learning content. Um, and then we're also creating a repository of you know common questions that people have about tools, technologies, people and processes related to data. So you can like go and find uh, these, these uh, you know, answers to those questions there. Um, so excited to be here. Thanks again. And you also have a podcast, which you... Yeah, yeah. We, so we have a podcast, podcast called... Yeah, it's, it's actually called The Data Led Professional. Uh, so you can check out the podcast on our website, dataled.academy slash podcast. Um, and we basically talk about different data-related topics, uh, primarily focused on topics that are relevant for... Uh, I like to use the term less technical people, people who are not exactly... Uh, data engineers or data analysts, of course, they can also benefit from the content, but our core audience is basically uh, people working in product growth and operations roles or marketing uh, who want to basically learn about data and like, you know, different data-related topics. Um, and typically, you know, our goal is to answer, again, common questions that people have um, about, about data. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so before we go into our main topic of uh, data-led or becoming data-led, uh, maybe we can start with your background. Um, can you tell us yeah. uh, about your career journey so far? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so basically, um, I've been working in the technology industry for for pretty much the whole my whole career. But I've, I've sort of you know worked in in different types of companies. Uh, I really got into the data space uh, when I when I I was basically working as a consultant, and you know I was building a lot of integrations for SMBs. Um, and that led me to, to Integromat. So I was uh, a user of Integromat. Integromat is, a, is an iPath solution like, like Workado, Tray, Zapier, et cetera. Um, and I was like one of the earliest people to join the Integromat team. Uh, I actually built the Integromat community and then eventually I led growth at Integromat. Um, I, I moved on from Integromat uh, soon after it got acquired uh, late last year. Uh, since then, I've worked with a few other companies. Um, Basically, again, companies in the data space solving different problems in the you know customer data infrastructure sort of space, um, and and um, and now I'm I'm building Data Led Academy while while also you know working with a few data companies, helping them with their content and community strategy. For me, content community is is really uh, is all I've been doing. You know, like uh, at Integromat also, uh, content community is what helped us grow um, really really fast and. Um, 
and and it's really important for for uh, you know especially data companies to to build their presence across different communities uh, where where their prospects customers partners hang out communities like data talks club um, you know instead of building a new community a lot of people are building new communities but i believe that there are already a lot of great communities and um, and that's why i i like to you know be active in existing communities um, and and that's that's the idea behind data led academy to to not build another community but but basically sort of create a place where people can um, get get concrete expert actionable uh, actionable answers expert unbiased actionable answers to their questions uh, and a lot of these answers are basically answered by experts uh, who are from these communities so yeah that's that's a bit about uh, my my background mm-hmm. yeah thanks uh, so as uh, so this term growth and this is something you did uh, uh, at Integramat. So yeah. I was curious what actually growth managers do, and when I checked, it's very, uh, it's uh, very data driven. I don't know how to describe, but they use a lot of data. So um, judging, like when I look at the title, growth manager, or growth marketing, it doesn't sound too data related to me. But when I actually read, and they they run a lot of A/B tests, they need to make a lot of decisions. All these decisions yeah. are based on data. Uh, yeah, so I guess this is how you um, you ended up creating this uh, data-led academy, right? So because you saw how yeah. it is useful. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Without data, you can't really, I mean, there's, there's only so much you can do. I shouldn't say you can't do anything, but there's only so much you can do. Uh, like uh, in simple terms, like if you don't have data, uh, when you're building growth experiences, whether it's for you know, acquisition, activation, um, or retention, or whatever. You're without data, you'd, you'd be forced to build linear experiences. You know, like every customer, irrespective of their behavior, uh, they will go through the same path, right? But when you have data, you can actually create personalized experiences where uh, customers, the prospects, will will see content or or interact with your product based on you know where they come from, what their uh, industry is, and and how they basically interact with your product. Uh, so that is the main difference, and and uh, it's very hard for for growth professionals or or even product managers to to really you know uh, build personalized customer experiences across different cust- uh, you know um, across different touch points and channels without having access to data uh, and having access to data in the tools that they use. Um, it's not just enough to have access to data in a data warehouse or in a BI tool. Uh, it's more important than ever to have access to data in the tools that they use to, to build and craft these uh, customer experiences. So tools that marketers use to make different decisions, right? Because they cannot yeah. just go and, uh, uh, or most of them probably, I don't know, uh, but most of the marketers I worked with, they cannot just go and uh, run a SQL query in a, yeah. in a database, right? They, they need yeah. help for that. Yeah, marketers, growth professionals, product people, uh, operations people—they—they—they they, they need not really know uh, how to write SQL. Of course, if they know, it's, it's an added advantage. But uh, um, there are a lot of great tools out there that allow you to, you know, visually query the data. Um, and so, if the data is, is made available, then then they can easily sort of use the data uh, for for uh, their their. Uh, for, for whatever they're doing. So whether it's uh, uh, creating in-app experiences or, or uh, creating lifecycle email campaigns or um, you know, doing A-B tests like you mentioned um, or, or doing like an SMS campaign, for example, um, 
irrespective of the channel that they're using to, to engage with customers, they can sort of use this, this data if the data is available in the tools that they use. Um, yeah. So what is data-led? So uh, it, I, I think you have a definition, right? So what is that? Yeah, yeah. So my, my definition of data-led is basically a data-led professional, data-led person is someone who, who understands where, where data comes from, what it looks like. Um, they're able to question its accuracy, you know, not just blindly believe the data that they see. So if they understand where data comes from and what it looks like, uh, they'll be able to question its accuracy. And then, of course, they are comfortable working with data. Um, and, you know, they, they have the skills to build these experiences powered by data. Um, so, so it sounds like, you know, a lot, but essentially it's, you, you don't really need a technical background, I would say, to, to, to know any of this stuff, to understand where data comes from, what it looks like, to question its accuracy, um, and to, to basically work with data to build data experiences. Is there any difference between being data-driven and data-led? Uh, data-driven is something I hear quite often. And mm. to be honest, I still have no idea what it actually means. <laughs> I think sometimes it's used like a buzzword. Um, it is a buzzword. Like, okay, we're data-driven and what does it mean? And uh, yeah, maybe you can just explain a bit what it means and what are the differences between data-driven and data-led, if there are any differences. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like you said, it is sort of a buzzword. Uh, it's, but like how I like to think of data-driven is basically uh, to, to base decisions exclusively on available data. You know, every company wants to be data-driven, so they, they, they're investing heavily in their infrastructure. Uh, once data is available, they, they want to, like, like to be data-driven would be to, to not, again, question the, the accuracy of the data and uh, not use their intuition and experience before making decisions. You know, like uh, data is all about making decisions. It helps you, good data helps you make good decisions, but you cannot always blindly follow what data tells you because you know like there are there's so many ways um you know the data that you see can be inaccurate um, there are so many data quality issues that can be there um so it's important to 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 basically combine your intuition your experience along with the data that you see so that i would say is the difference between being data driven versus being data led where your data is leading you or guiding you rather rather than just you know telling you just you know blindly following what data tells you Mm -hmm. So it's uh, that part uh, when you said uh, like data-led professional is somebody who knows, understands where the data comes from, can question uh, its accuracy and comfortable working with data. So I guess the, the, the second point about questioning is the main, uh, the main factor that say yeah. that uh, differentiating factor, right, between these two. Yeah, yeah, and you can only question its accuracy if you if you understand you know where data is being collected or how it is being collected. Uh, if if nothing is documented, you you can't really understand anything, so you can't really question it. So it's very important to to have um, you know uh, proper documentation on on your on your data sources. Uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about, especially in the context of product and growth, is having a, a data tracking plan, uh, which essentially is a it could be a simple Google Doc um, or Google Sheet or you, you know, there are purpose-built tools now to create your tracking plans where you uh, define every event that is being captured um, and, and, you know, related properties that are being captured and even the data types of each property. So when these things are, are well-defined, um, any product or growth professional can, can look at that 
that information and understand that, okay, uh, this event is captured when someone performs this particular action. You know, the sign-up event is, is captured when someone uh, not just submits a sign-up form, but when, 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 the, when, when the sign-up is completed rather, rather than, than just, you know, being a client-side event versus being a server-side event. So uh, when you specify these things, you enable people to, to understand where data comes from, you know, um, so that's really important, like uh, documenting everything uh, to be able to like, you know, pass on that knowledge to others because, you know, the person who would implement it, they, they cannot be around forever to, to explain to people, you know, where the data is coming from. But and once you have that understanding, then, then you're able to question the accuracy when you see uh, an, an anomaly, when you see that the data doesn't look right, you can actually, you know, go and like drill down and figure out what the issue is. Um, instead of just flying blind or just, you know, blindly trusting what you see. Uh, so for this, um, so you mentioned this data tracking plan and the document with the, which describes all these events. So mm -hmm. how do you, uh, like, when do you actually need to do this? So let's say you're, uh, is it for startups or is it for mature organizations? Like, uh, I guess uh, for any type of company, they already have some data sources. So something is already going on on the platform. And yeah. then uh, they hire, I don't know, a growth marketer, right? Somebody who comes in and now needs to uh, make decisions based on data, right? And, uh, and the, so the data, I would, yes. Mm -hmm. So I would say it depends. I mean, it depends on the stage of the company. Like uh, <clears throat> I've seen some, some big companies not having uh, a tracking plan at all. Uh, which is a problem. So essentially every company that has, has a tech product or a tech enabled product or even an e-commerce business needs to have uh, this documented, uh, whether it's a tracking plan or uh, some companies use use like other different like different tools to sort of document this. It used to the visual tools like Miro and stuff. Um, so it's, it's usually done even before you instrument uh, you know, like data, before you set up instrumentation, before you uh, set up like a product, product analytics. So instrumentation in the sense, like uh, before you set up, let's say a product analytics tool or any mm -hmm. any tool that that that, uh, that that depends on event data, um, you instrument uh, your product events. You know, like the the, the process of tracking uh, product data is is all is often referred to as instrumentation. Um, so this is usually done. Again, it, there's no rule when it's done, but it's typically done when companies are ready to sort of invest in uh, product analytics tools or, or like uh, other, other event-based engagement tools like customer IO, Braze, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many tools where you can like, you know, use events to personalize customer experiences. So, um, and this is something that, that obviously is relevant to startups as well as big companies, uh, more so with with big companies because uh, at a big company, if you don't have have this stuff uh, documented, like like people will new people will come in and they they'll have no idea uh, what to do with with your with the tools. They'll, they'll see a bunch of like events, let's say in intercom, uh, and they're supposed to create some uh, you know in app experiences or some email campaigns, but they won't know wh what an event means, right? Uh, or they might see conflicting events. They might see an event called signed up, another event called um, you know, signed up with a different casing. Um, so, so all of those issues sort of come up if you don't have things documented and, and well instrumented. So, um, like, I, I would recommend every company to do this sooner rather than later, because um, of course you need to sort of have customers and you need to have users to be able to uh, 
you know, make sense of this data. Otherwise, you set it up, but there won't be any data to, to analyze or act upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think I mentioned to this growth marketer, but there are any, like there are a lot of different users of data. So we have the data analysts, we have product managers, uh, basically yeah. everyone who needs to make a decision, certain decision on data, they would need to, to analyze the data and they would need to uh, understand the each event, right? So what yeah. is the origin of this event? And I think you mentioned if the, they see something strange in the data, they need to be able to question this. Okay, like uh, mm-hmm. there is a spike in, I don't know, registrations or something like yeah. this or in certain yeah. type of event. Okay, well, what does it mean, right? And then yeah. they would be able to go and uh, drill in and understand what, what's happening, right? Yeah, That's absolutely. Uh, an example would be, uh, let's say you see a spike, a, a ridiculous spike in, in your signups, uh, and you know that it, it doesn't look right. If you have uh, the, the event instrumented properly and you're also capturing relevant properties with that event, you can actually figure out where the signups are coming from. Um, and oftentimes you might realize that, you know, these are like fake signups or like bots, uh, this is something a lot of companies have been experiencing. So you'd be able to do that. Um, another thing that I would like to mention is that you mentioned product growth and we've been talking about product marketing growth people, but uh, product data or event data is extremely useful for even for salespeople today. Uh, so salespeople look at a CRM, uh, they, they look at, you know, data about a company or about a prospect, um, but when they have access to product data, where they can see what a prospect uh, in the trial period is doing inside the product, it gives them more, more context. And then they can like go after the right accounts rather than, you know, again, just going after everybody who's a prospect in their CRM. When they see that, you know, this particular account has, you know, uh, they already have five users in their account and they've already gone ahead and like, you know, performed a bunch of actions. Uh, if it's a project management tool, they've already gone ahead and created a project and created a bunch of tasks. Um, so now would be a good time to sort of reach out to them uh, versus just, again, reaching out to everybody who just shows up in your CRM and, you know, maybe based on the company size or, or, or whatever. So, so it's extremely useful for, for, for even for sales or um, yeah, like sales and BD people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, this is very important to document your data, right? Mm-hmm. And we discussed, I think you mentioned that you can do this with Miro. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I saw some things like that uh, in uh, like just an Excel, Excel spreadsheet or yeah. not necessarily Excel, but maybe Google spreadsheet, like some online spreadsheets. Are there any special tools for that or just yeah. people use whatever uh, they're comfortable with? No, so now there are like uh, purpose-built tools for that. So uh, there's one called uh, Avo. So Avo, there's another one called Iteratively. Uh, there's a new one called Track Plan. I can set, share these names on Slack. Um, so, you know, people can explore these tools. So these are actually tools that are especially built for companies to create their tracking plan in a collaborative manner rather than relying on a, on a spreadsheet. So they obviously have a lot of you know features that are really useful that, that enable you to maintain data quality, maintain a taxonomy, um, you know, like collaborate on each event. A lot of times you, you might describe an event and, and the developer who, who's supposed to instrument it, uh, they might have questions about that event. So you can like discuss stuff. Uh, so these tools are really, really useful, I would say, and uh, they're worth exploring. So I'm, I'm re- so you said a developer who is supposed to instrument this event. So the way mm-hmm. I interpret, I interpret it, the way I understand it is, uh, so first you create this tracking plan, right? So you, mm-hmm. um, you take, 
um, you write down all the events, all the type of events you want to yeah. capture. It doesn't mean yeah. you capture them yet, yeah, but you exactly. want to start tracking them, right? And then right. Uh, there is a developer, or maybe a, a mobile Data developer, engineer. Yeah, yeah. some engineer uh, who now needs to go and implement this to start yes. tracking this data, right? Yes, absolutely. So because the data doesn't just appear magically on your dashboard, right? And yeah. then you make a decision. You actually need to capture this data and mm -hmm. do many, many other things, right? So yeah. maybe we can talk a bit um, about this, like, okay, now we have a tracking plan and now a developer, um, we tell a developer, hey, can you please instrument yeah. this event? Can we start collecting them? And then yeah. we have the other end of uh, this is like a, an analyst or somebody is looking on the mm -hmm. dashboard and now yeah. can make a decision like this campaign, uh, this type of campaign, this variant of the campaign is better than this variant of the campaign, right? So then yeah. we can make a decision. And there is a, a big, like a lot of things happen between these two, these two, right? Yeah, so. yeah uh, absolutely. So I would say like data collection is the first step. And, and even before, you know, like uh, let's talk about a startup um, that doesn't have any, any data infrastructure in place. Uh, let, let's think of a SaaS product. Uh, it could be a project management tool or an invoicing tool. Um, before you implement uh, any 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 tools, any like product analytics tools or, or any tools that rely on data, you need to first create a tracking plan and describe you know all the events that you want to capture and then uh, describe all uh, the properties you want to capture with every event. You also want to describe your your user properties and you also want to describe uh, organization or account properties. So all the different pieces of data that you ideally want to collect. And uh, this is really important because when you start doing this, you, you, you feel like you want to collect this also and that also, you might end up with like 50 events, um, and which is great. But the next step is to basically remove all the events that you don't need in the uh, near future, because you know having too much data at the beginning is, is like one of the biggest uh, mm -hmm. issues. It also obviously takes more time to implement. It takes more time to test. So like bring it down to like seven or 10 events that you really, really need to understand the, the customer journey from acquisition to activation. Maybe, um, uh, maybe we can think of some examples. So you said like a SaaS product, which could be yeah. a product, a project management tool or yeah. account, like accounting tool or something like this. Yeah, so, so if it's a, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, so yeah, I, I was going to suggest maybe we can take one of the tools. I think it, you said invoicing tool. Uh, that probably makes it let's take Let's take project management. Okay, okay yeah, invoicing yeah. tool. <laughs> Either <laughs> way. Uh, so, so you start by you start by obviously tracking your, your sign-up event, you know. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I, I recommend people to even track uh, the event, which is email verified because, you know, uh, depending on how your sign-up flow is, you might not always... You, you might have people who, who sign up, but they don't end up verifying your email. So it's useful to have that because you might want to like create some uh, emails based on that event. So like sign up, email verified. Um, with the project management tool, obviously the, one of the first things is to create a project and then add uh, invite a user because you know a project management tool is no good if you don't if someone doesn't invite another user to work with. So like you know project created, user invited, uh, those would be like the, the core events that you track. Uh, and then of course you also want to see uh, whether they create a task. So you know task created. If it's an invoicing tool, again it could be uh, uh, an invoice created uh, or or like uh, with an invoicing tool you probably add a client. So it could be client added or client created and then uh, invoice created. And then you want to maybe again, invite your colleagues, so user invited. So these are the most common events. Mm -hmm. um, um, 
So yeah, like you, you definitely start with these for each event you'd describe relevant properties. Uh, so for the sign up event, you, you obviously want to describe um, the user's name and email, but also uh, if you're if you're asking the user, so let's say there's a sign ups form where you ask the user which industry they belong to um, and what is their role. So you definitely want to capture that information uh, alongside that event. So stuff like that. Um, so yeah, once you have that, once you're happy with your once you're happy with your events, that's that's when you you basically bring in an engineer and then you basically discuss it with them, uh, get their feedback. Of course, engineers have a lot of good feedback. Um, get their feedback, polish your tracking plan. Once you agree upon it, you you basically even like I highly recommend you to even describe for every event describe whether it's a client side event or a service side event. That's really really important. It's obviously now better to, to track uh, more events server side, but uh, you might want to track some client side events. So it's important to describe that so that- What's, you know. what's the difference? Like so the sign difference, up with a client side or server side? So it depends how, how, how you end up implementing it, right? Like if you're tracking at client side, the event will be fired as soon as someone clicks the sign up button, mm -hmm. you know, submits the form. Uh, but if you're tracking server side, It'll only be fired once the sign-up process is actually completed. One, mm -hmm. once that user is actually added in your database, you know, like a lot of times, a lot, you know, users will click that sign-up button and there'll be an error that you need mm -hmm. to. There might be a validation error that you know your password is not right or email is not right, but the event will be fired. So you might see a mm -hmm. sign-up, whereas an actual sign-up hasn't even taken place, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so you ideally track that server side, but there might be uh, for some use cases for for tracking client-side events. Um, where you actually want to track if someone clicked a button. Uh, this is usually useful inside your app if you want to see if someone uh, tried clicking on a button uh, to use a feature. Uh, even if they don't, don't use the feature, you want to know that someone actually tried using it. So that's like useful information for you. So that could be uh, a client side event. Yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, so yeah, once you have that, I would recommend that, you know, once you start working with, with your engineers, um, often there might be multiple engineers involved, so you should even specify, you know, which engineer, which engineer is going to uh, implement which event. So you, you can have a column, or you can specify who owns which event. Um, once you have everything done, and once you actually have data flowing in, um, you you are actually sort of done with the with the collection stage. Uh, the next step is to obviously make sure that this data that is being collected is being stored in a warehouse. Um, of course, for for early early stage startups. It, might not be possible to 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 set up a warehouse. Always, you know, it's not hard at all to set up a warehouse today. It's also very affordable, uh, so it's very it's highly recommended to to uh, store this event data or product data in a warehouse. Because if you don't, you you'd obviously be sending it to let's say a product analytics tool like like Mixpanel or Amplitude or whatever, um, and a few other tools. But you won't really have access to this raw event data to be used in the future. So uh, it's highly recommended that you store it. Um, and then of course you want to analyze this data. Uh, typically uh, event data is analyzed in a product analytics tool. Uh, some people also end up doing this in a BI tool, but uh, BI tools are not you know, purpose built to analyze event data. So uh, you'd obviously sort of need, need, need an analyst who would have to write a whole bunch of um, uh, SQL queries to, to actually create, let's say a simple funnel uh, report in a BI tool that you could do in a product analytics tool with a few clicks. So uh, irrespective of the tools you're using to analyze the data, you, you basically analyze it and you derive insights uh, 
from, from the data. And then of course you want to activate the data or act upon the data. Uh, and that's obviously the most important thing. Like you can't just look at data and be happy with it. You need to do something about it. Um, and that's when um, data activation sort of comes into place. Uh, and once this data is available in your activation tools, uh, your email tools, your, your uh, support tools, uh, support is a really good use case, like something that a lot of people don't think about, but if you make this event data available in your support tools, you actually enable your support teams to actually see what users have done in the product. So they don't have to like, you know, ask people uh, when, when someone opens the ticket, they don't have to reply saying, hey, did you try doing this? Or did you try doing that? Or can you try doing this? Because they can actually see uh, the different events that users have performed. So they don't have to, you know, you can provide better support. Are just there companies that. who actually have this? Because <laughs> all my experience with customer support uh, uh, says that uh, none of them. More and more companies realize the importance of this. It's just obviously, you know, it's, it's not a priority for most companies. Mm -hmm. But uh, of course, there are many companies uh, that, that, that provide great support. They have this. And it's really not hard. Once you have the data, you just have to sort of send this data to Zendesk or whatever uh, support tool you're using. Um, so that's the thing with data, right? Like, every company or let's say 100 different companies will have access to, to this data, but maybe only five of them are actually using this data across different sort of channels and, and um, making this data available to different teams, right? Uh, even the sales example is, is really important, uh, useful. Um, <clears throat> salespeople don't generally have access to product data in the tools that they use, right? But now more and more companies realize that the importance of this and now there are like, a new breed of companies that have that have come up. They are building sort of uh, uh, these these new tools, which are now sort of dubbed as CRM 2.0 tools, where uh, salespeople can can uh, <clears throat> actually access product data and and um, you know be more sort of responsive uh, and like they don't have to just create sort of these linear experiences. So. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, uh, once you once you once you have the data in the right tools, you can activate the data. And you can you know build these really good personalized customer experiences, and then of course you can send this data back to your product and and personalize uh, your, the product experience also. You know based on uh, and like I think HubSpot is a really good example. Uh, there are a bunch of other companies that do this really well, where uh, the way people experience the product is also depend is also sort of personalized based on. What they've done earlier in the product, you know, so that is that is the the ultimate sort of uh, destination where where you're not just like analyzing data and using it to to create ex experience outside your product, but also inside your product. Um, it's worth mentioning that uh, tools like Amplitude, uh, which is obviously one of the most popular product analytics tool, uh, has launched a new sort of a product or a feature called Amplitude Recommend, where you can actually do this uh, using Amplitude where you can send the data uh, from Amplitude into your, back to your product. And of course, to, to other tools um, mm -hmm. to, to create like a unified uh, customer experience. Yeah, so uh, maybe we can take a step back. You, like there was a lot of information and they have so many questions, um, but starting even from the, the beginning. So you said for tracking plan, uh, for creating this tracking plan, we can use uh, you mentioned a tool I think called uh, track plan, right? And there are some yeah. other things. Then, yeah. um, then okay, we have this tracking plan. Then a developer, an engineer would go and implement this uh, 
to data collection. Um, I know, are there specific tools uh, for that, uh, uh, for collecting data? Uh, so typically, like, of course, there are there are sort of CDI tools, uh, you know, customer infrastructure tools, customer infrastructure tools that, uh, so the ones I mentioned, uh, TrackPlan is one, but uh, Arvo and Iteratively sort of, they, they, these are tools that, that allow you to also collect your data, not just create the tracking plan. Mm -hmm. uh, but other popular tools would be segment connections. So segment connections is one of the most popular tools people use to, to track product data. Um, there's also Rudderstack. Uh, there's another one called MetaRouter, which is uh, relatively new. Um, there are a whole bunch of tools. There's, there's one called FreshPaint, which, which, uh, which enables implicit tracking. So you don't even have to define tracking. There's just like auto track. Once you install it, it starts tracking all the events automatically mm. uh, like Heap does. Um, and then of course, companies, companies do this using code and you know, some, some companies build a microservice just for the tracking purposes. Um, but then of course, there are all these great tools that I mentioned. Um, in fact, I have, I have, I have, uh, I have written about this, so I'd happy to, I'd be happy to share uh, yeah. this content. And, Please you know, send the link and I'll include it in the description. Uh, yeah, okay. for sure. So, and then you mentioned that we, the data should be, that the, the data we collect, we can send immediately to a product analytics tool but it's better to store it in a warehouse. So what yes. is a warehouse? I think it's uh, essentially like a database that you own, right? So it's not like a third yeah. party too, but uh, yeah. yeah, maybe you can tell it in, uh, you know, tell us what is it's, it is. Is it any database or it's some sort of special so, database? Yeah, so a data warehouse is generally a database that is purpose built for analytics, right? So it's not like a, like a typical uh, database, um, and companies use it to, to store uh, large amounts of structured data. Um, and then they obviously uh, create data models in the data warehouse. So they transform the data, they clean the data. There are, of course, other tools just for transformation purposes, tools like DBT, Trifecta, et cetera, which you know, you're, you're well aware of. Um, and once you have this clean structured data in the warehouse, you can basically analyze this data in a BI tool. It's also worth mentioning that uh, there are, product analytics companies that are now sort of warehouse centric. Uh, so if you if you have a warehouse and you if you already if you're already sending data to your warehouse and you want to implement a product analytics tool, you don't have to use their SDKs to, to sort of send data to them directly. You can send data from your warehouse uh, to these product, product analytics tools. There's also a tool called Rockcom which uh, doesn't even you don't even need to send data to it. It just sits on top of a warehouse like a BI tool and offers product analytics features. So um, it's really important to set up a warehouse and uh, the popular warehouses worth mentioning are obviously Snowflake, uh, Google BigQuery, AWS Redshift. There's some new ones called uh, Firebolt is a newer data warehouse. Uh, in fact, we have someone from Firebolt in our community. Um, and then- yeah, uh, I think I saw recently also in Data Talks Club. Right, yeah, in your company, exactly. That's what I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I meant. And then uh, there are a bunch of other, of course, uh, warehouse uh, vendors. There's one called Panoply. Uh, so once you have the data in the warehouse, you can actually do, do a lot of things with it. Um, and you can actually send it back to your, uh, not just BI tool, but also product analytics tool. And then um, you can even send it to your engagement tools. Uh, and they're, again, a new bunch of uh, companies that have come up that are just solving this problem. Uh, they're 
sort of referred to as uh, reverse ETL tools or, or operational analytics tools, companies like Census, Hightouch, Grouperu, um, they are they are basically solving this exact problem that you have the data in the warehouse and you want to basically send data to, to a lot of different tools, your sales, marketing, uh, advertising, support tools or whatever product analytics tools, you can do that um, using this, this third-party tool. So yeah, there are a lot of different tools solving different pieces of the puzzle. Uh, of course, like to implement all of these different tools, you uh, need like a lot of resources, you need a data team, um, at least a couple of, or maybe at least one dedicated data engineer. Uh, so it's not possible for early stage startups to, to do everything. Um, and that's where it's also worth mentioning CDPs, uh, customer data platforms, which are sort of, the, uh, they're like an all-in-one bundled solution where you can track data and then you can send data to different tools um, so you can like you can create audiences and create your models and segments inside a CDP. Of course, it has limited capabilities. You can't exactly do everything you can do in a warehouse, but it still gives a lot of flexibility to marketers and growth professionals to to you know work with data <clears throat> without relying on on um, data teams. So yeah. I was trying to take a note at uh, of all the tools you mentioned, but there are simply so many. And I'm wondering, so let's say I just started a startup. Mm -hmm. I and uh, my co-founder. So I haven't started a startup. I'm just like yeah. a hypothetical. Hypothetical, yeah. Yes. So I have a co-founder. So there are two of us. We just started a startup. And to understand that uh, data is important, we want to collect. And we look at all these tools. And there are just too many. Like, how do we make yeah. a decision which tool to choose? Like, um, I think they, it's I, not I, about... I are yeah. they different, similar? Yeah, how to choose? Yeah, I think I think it's first important to define what your goals are, uh, and a, a good way to think about this is to like just list down, uh, you know, ten questions that you want to answer with data, uh, and then work backwards and and figure out the tools. Uh, of course, there are ready-made tools, but a lot of companies end up, uh, you know, fixing these problems or implementing these solutions without uh, buying ready-made tools by building in-house tools. So it depends, uh, you know, what your resources are because these tools can also get expensive. But uh, at the very least, you need you need to start collecting data. So you need a tool like a CDI tool, like Segment Connections, Rudderstack, uh, MetaRouter. Uh, I'll, I'll share this whole list. Uh, I've actually written a lot about this stuff, so I'll share this list. Um, and once you have the data, you obviously want to analyze it. So, uh, and of course, it's worth mentioning that a lot of these tools do have uh, free tiers, free plans. So, you know, you can explore different tools and see what works for you. Um, but uh, at the very least, you want to analyze this data in a product analytics tool um, or, or even like a simple BI tool um, or both actually. It makes sense to, you know, have both depending on, um, <clears throat> because they both sort of serve different purposes and, you know, cater to different teams. Um, and then of course you you want to uh, have like an email tool where you send this data to create personalized emails to on create onboarding experiences. Um, if you have a SaaS product, you want to do some in-app onboarding. So you know there are tools for that, and you can send this data to those tools. So there are these four or five different tools. I, I, so I like to mention this. So I like to think of this data stack uh, as the modern data stack for growth. So uh, typically. If you hear the term modern data stack, uh, you generally hear it in the context of uh, analytics. Um, 
the modern data stack for analytics is like how I would describe it, where you have uh, you have an ELT tool like Firefront, Stitch, et cetera, where ingesting data from all third-party tools into a warehouse, uh, and then you have a BI tool and you have a transformation tool. Um, so that's typically uh, a modern data stack for analytics. Um, DBT is worth mentioning here. Um, you know, it's growing so fast, and you know, so many companies are adopting DBT for their transformation needs and modeling needs. Um, and then BI tools like Looker, Looker Mode, uh, et cetera. So, so that's like the modern data stack for analytics. Um, in terms of modern data stack for growth, I would say you need a data collection tool, uh, a product analytics tool. Um, and then uh, a warehouse is, is almost stable stakes, like every company should have it. Um, and then of course, uh, tools that, are, that makes, make data available in your downstream SaaS tools, you know, sales marketing support tools, um, and that could be a, a customer data platform. It could be uh, if you're using tools like Segment Connection and or Rudder Stack, they can uh, do that. They have that capability. Or um, if you have, if you're storing the data in the warehouse, then you can use a reverse ETL tool. Um, and each of these categories has obviously multiple tools. So you know, like a lot of them are very similar. You know, some have different capabilities. So it's, it is sort of time consuming to evaluate all of these different tools and. Um, you know, understand the differences. And that's actually one of the things I'm trying to solve uh, with Data Led Academy. Uh, I'm still launching this thing called company profiles where, you know, you can go and uh, learn about a product um, in a very simple manner, understand uh, what the product does, what the core benefits are and uh, who the product caters to, and then get, you know, answers to questions about the product. So um, yeah, I agree. Like companies spend a lot of time uh, figuring out the right tools, and that is a problem that 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 needs to be solved. Mm -hmm. And uh, myself, I'm uh, I have this engineering background. Often I look at these tools and think, okay, why they are so expensive? I could implement yeah. something like this. Uh, and then, of course, like I know that uh, once you implement, there will be bugs, and then it's uh, difficult to maintain later. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's probably I, I don't know if you if you had this in your experience you go to a company you say okay this is a great tool and then engineers say no 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 like it's I'm going to implement it myself so do you I have experienced that a lot yeah so <laughs> like what do you I, do I, yeah this? I would like to say that like <clears throat> like one of the things that, that that's really important to sort of think about is that very few people actually like using these tools you know for, for most people it's a headache it's, it's an additional sort of task, whether for engineers to implement the tool or for uh, other business teams to go and use these tools. Uh, at the end of the day, everyone just wants answers to questions, uh, especially when it comes to data, uh, or they just want data to be available in the right format so that they can use it um, and derive insights from it or act upon it. So um, yeah, like implementing new tools is, is not easy at all, especially when it comes to data tools. Uh, there's, there's a lot of like security uh, challenges, uh, there are a lot of compliance issues, compliance issues. So um, it is difficult. So it's like, and that's why it's really important to understand the problem that the tool solves. Um, and then, you know, if you have the resources, then you can do like a buy versus build analysis. You know, if you build this sort of in-house, then uh, how much you know it will cost us and whatever resources we need to maintain that versus uh, buying a ready-made solution or of course open source it, like it's worth mentioning again that a lot of these tools uh, are open source uh, 
So uh, Rudderstack is open source. Uh, Grouper is a reverse ETL tool is, is open source. There are a bunch of open source BI tools. Um, uh, there's, there's, a, there's an open source uh, product analytics tool now called Posthog. So in every category, you'll find open source tools. Um, so if you have, again, the resources, of course, uh, it takes a lot of effort to implement an open source tool just because open source doesn't mean it's like easy to implement. But uh, if you have the resources, you can obviously you know, go that route. Okay. And um, what kind of roles we need to... Um, so we discussed about tools, we discussed uh, about the flow. So the flow from uh, the moment we start capturing the data to the moment, uh, um, I think you called it data activation. So to the moment yeah. when data is activated. Yeah. Um, and I heard that uh, we need at least to have a data, like an engineer, somebody who implements yeah. this. Uh, so who else do we need to have in a team to implement the whole flow from the beginning to the end? Yeah, I would say like uh, typically, you know, for early stage startups, you may not have a dedicated data engineer. So, uh, you know, different, like any engineer, a backend engineer could, could help you with that stuff uh, or even a front-end engineer could help you with a bunch of that stuff. Uh, but eventually you'd need a, a data engineer to manage all of these different data pipelines. And, you know, it's not just about implementing the tool once, right? You, you have to... Uh, maintain it, you have to make sure that, you know, everything is, is working properly. And then of course, teams have, have continuous requests for new, new, new events to track, you know, you want to add more data, you want to collect more data. So um, yeah, at the very least you'd need uh, a data engineer. And then um, if you, if you have, uh, if you're using a BI tool and you're, if you're implementing a warehouse, then it makes sense to have a data analyst who will be, uh, you know, analyzing the data and like, you know, making the data uh, available in the BI tools. So uh, at the very least, you'd need those two. I've seen companies hire, uh, you know, one data person who, who does pretty much all of this stuff. Uh, and now, now like there's, there's obviously analytics engineering, which is uh, a more specialized role, uh, which sort of sits in between data engineering and data data uh, analysis, and they they specifically work on on tools like DBT and they they you know build data models. Uh, so again, depending on the resources, you eventually need you know uh, all of these people. Um, there are companies that are hiring data ops people who who basically just you know make sure. Uh, uh, that all of these different tools are working, um, you know, all of these different teams have access to, to the tools that they need and uh, to the resources that they need. Um, there are companies that, that are uh, creating product ops teams. So companies that don't have sort of dedicated data teams, they're calling uh, this team called product ops and product ops uh, often does uh, a lot of the work that uh, data teams do. So, you know, they, they take care of all the tools, they take care of your ETL pipelines, they take care of your warehouse. Uh, again, you have an analyst, an engineer, um, and and someone who understands the product really well. Um, so um, uh, yeah, it depends on like it doesn't matter what you call it, but uh, depending on your resources, you sort of uh, decide how many people you'd want um, in a team like that. Um, it definitely makes sense to you know empower product teams and growth teams to to understand all of the stuff, so then they can sort of support these teams uh, or like. You know they can support these teams by by uh, taking up a lot of the work and and not like adding more work for these for for data people. So one of the typical challenges is that data people are overwhelmed with requests. You know from different teams where different teams have requests to 
track new data or you know like make data available in different tools or create dashboards uh, if you enable um, different teams to, to do a lot of that work themselves um, then then obviously you can make your data people more efficient and that's what that's the whole sort of conversation around um, data democratization where you're you're not just making data accessible for people but you're enabling them to to sort of uh, work with data and like um, uh, you're, you're you're implementing self-serve analytics tools so that you know people can go in and like uh, derive insights from data themselves. Um, you're you're investing in in upskilling people, uh, maybe um, having people learn some basic SQL so that they can run very simple queries. Um, you know, so that they don't have to rely on on their on on data people to to create like for every query that they that they want to run, or at least uh, they can like take a SQL query and put it in the right place and run it and then understand it. So um, again, like these things are, are becoming more and more common and it just makes sense for like pretty much every sort of team to, to learn these skills and become data literate. And I strongly believe that uh, one doesn't need to have like an engineering background or, or even a technical, any sort of a technical background uh, to, to work with data. Mm-hmm. So yeah, quite a few, uh, quite a few roles we need to have. Uh, but I, I also like because uh, not every company needs all uh, these people. So for a smaller, uh, for just early stage startup, uh, maybe they just need uh, somebody like uh, an analytics engineer, maybe who can yeah. do both analytics and uh, some data yeah. engineering, right? Yeah. And then as the team grow, like maybe we can have. Uh, they can have a data engineer, then maybe a data ops uh, team who can support uh, all these yeah. tools. And then he also talked about data democratization. Mm-hmm. And as I understood you, so this is a, uh, this is about enabling people in, in the company, like analysts yeah. and others uh, who need access to the data to actually go and access the data themselves, go and an- analyze the data themselves, go and uh, implement yeah. some things on top of data themselves, yeah. right? Is there yeah. more to that? Like, what, what is it? Yeah, I think uh, data literacy is a big part of it. Uh, you cannot just democratize data just by making data available or just by giving people access to to, to different tools. Um, so, you know, investing in, in data literacy, uh, having people understand uh, from from like less technical teams or business teams, you know uh, uh, how data works. Making investing in documentation, maybe investing in a in a data cataloging uh, tool, a data documentation tool, whatever you want to call it. The tools like Atlin, Sikoda, a bunch of others that, that are working on this sort of solving this problem. Um, so making data available, investing on on uh, on data literacy within an organization, and then making data available in the right tools um, where people can actually use that data um, and not just look at dashboards. Um, and then of course, like upskilling them so that they can like uh, efficiently use product analytics tools to, to you know, self-serve their, their, their analytics needs, or even, um, like I said, learn some SQL to go and, you know, use a BI tool. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it's about uh, to sum it up, I would say it's investing in data literacy and making data available, making clean, accurate data available uh, in the different tools across an organization. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, also documented, right? Available and yeah, I think it's yeah. I mean, if you don't document it, especially in a remote world, like uh, it's it's crazy. Uh, like yes. it's it's one of the most important things people need to companies need to think about, uh, <clears throat> and it's one thing that very few people like to do. Yeah, about that. Uh, how to actually motivate people to write data documentation? Because I I know it's difficult. Like as a data scientist, I am. Uh, uh, the one who constantly produced new data for others to consume. Yeah. But this step of documenting this data is somewhat annoying. So how do you <laughs> convince people like me and others to actually go and document this data? Yeah, I think it, 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 it works when you start small uh, and you, you start early. Like the, the, the earlier that you start, the easier it is going to be. If you, if you keep sort of delaying it, it becomes difficult. Um, and then Again, like I strongly believe that if there's a tool that, that can solve your problem, you should uh, explore that tool and adopt that tool. So uh, tools like Atlin, which are sort of these new new age data documentation, data discovery tools, they are they're, they basically integrate with all your different data sources, with your warehouse, with your BI tools, with different tools, and they they actually automate a lot of the documentation process and, and data exploration. So uh, if you have a lot of different data sources and you, you have a lot of you know, uh, you have a lot of data in different places and you don't have uh, a, like a way to, to efficiently document it, then, then it's worth exploring these tools. But obviously, like before you invest in a, in a data documentation cataloging tool, you need to have uh, the right data infrastructure in place. It obviously comes after, you know, once you have data collection, warehousing, uh, analysis, activation, all of that, you know, in place, that's when you invest in these tools. So I think... If you're starting today, then it should be like table stakes that everything that is being tracked should be documented, um, and you know everywhere the data is being used should be documented, and uh, <clears throat> you know like that. That's that's how you'd go about it. If you don't start early, then then it's just gonna be a mess later on. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's more about the uh, culture and mindset, right? So you just uh, oh, yeah, you just say okay, sure. we need it. Uh, we start early, and for all the data we produce, we must have documentation because if we don't, then it becomes mess, right? Yeah, yeah, it's really important to start early. I think, and like you mentioned, it's definitely a culture thing, you know. Um, so yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Okay. One thing I actually wanted to ask you at the very beginning, but uh, we didn't uh, cover this. So there is a thing also called product led. Right, mm -hmm. and yeah. I wanted to ask you what is product led, and what is the difference between uh, being a product led and being a data led, right? if there is any. Yeah, yeah, great question. I think uh, being being product led requires you to be data led uh, because the whole idea of, of being product led is is uh, enabling your product to drive growth or using your product to drive growth rather than uh, investing in sales. Although you know, of course, there. You know, product led and sales can, can definitely coexist, but um, one of the principles of product led is that you know users or prospects or uh, customers can should be able to try your product before they buy the product, right? So um, you want to have have like a free trial or a free plan, um, and then people should be able to use the product and derive <clears throat> value from it before they they're asked to buy it before a salesperson. And this takes us back to, to, to the earlier conversation where I mentioned that, you know, once the salesperson sees that a prospect uh, has actually, you know, used the product and derived some value or, or reached the aha moment of the product, uh, often we refer to it, to it as 
uh, the activation event where, again, in a project management tool, it could be creating a project and adding uh, one user and creating three tasks, you know, and mm -hmm. that's when you feel like, you know, the user has derived some value from the product. Um, so that is being product-led, like, um, and typically product-led applies to organizations, not, not individuals. So mm -hmm. typically you're a product-led company where you invest in these uh, sort of product-led uh, efforts and uh, product-led motion uh, and a self-serve onboarding experience. And to create that self-serve onboarding experience, you need data. If you don't have data, then you're not able to sort of enable prospects to have that personalized experience when they're starting uh, to use your product. A common example is, uh, you know, uh, in-app in, in walkthroughs or onboarding walkthroughs that you typically see when you start using a new product, uh, <clears throat> you can actually personalize it, personalize it a lot uh, based on, you know, the, the role of the user or the industry of the user, and then keep personalizing it based on the features they're using in the product. Um, but only if you are data-led, if you have the data and you're using data to, to build those onboarding experiences or triggering emails. Emails is a great example. Um, a lot of companies, you might have received an email from a company saying that, hey, uh, you should try using this feature uh, after you've already used that feature. That's very common, right? Uh, and and that's, that's like, you know, you, you, it's, it's, a, it's, very, it's a very bad experience because You've, you've actually opened that email uh, and someone who's, who's created that campaign, they'll be very happy because, you know, they see a good open rate, but actually it's, it's annoyed you because you're like, this, their emails are useless. Next time I'm not going to open their email because they're telling me to do things I've already done, right? Um, but if you had data, if you're data-led, you not do that. You'd make sure that if someone has used a feature, you, they will not be asked to use that feature again. <clears throat> So if I can try, if I can attempt to summarize what you said, so being a product led, it first of all applies to the company, not to an individual. It's about yeah. uh, taking feedback uh, from users and uh, then being led by this feedback, being led yeah. by what users want. And yeah. to be able to do this, you cannot call every user and ask, hey, like, what should we do, right? So you need to actually track the data. You need to have this data to make a, a, a <laughs> yeah. If I may say, data-driven decision, right? Uh, yeah. Like a decision, sure. like baked by data, like when you. Or data have, informed. Yes, you can data, say data informed, informed yes. decisions. Yes. Uh, and feedback is definitely an important part of it. Like you know, gathering feedback while people are using the product. Uh, you know, running microservices in the product, or even uh, gathering like uh, qualitative data by looking at heat maps and session recordings, like all of that stuff sort of drives towards um, a product-led uh, approach. <clears throat> okay, thank you. So we should be wrapping up and I wanted yeah. to ask you if you want to say any, like any last comments, like anything you want to mention? Well, I would say just just uh, reach out to me uh, in the DataDocs uh, Slack community. If you have any questions, I'd love to answer your questions. And uh, you can check out uh, dataled.academy and uh, you can sign up to uh, my newsletter. Uh, so, it's not a weekly newsletter. I send out almost every two weeks where I share all of these different lessons. Um, and you can actually check out the past issues on the website where a lot of the stuff that I talked about is already sort of uh, written. So that'll be helpful for you. So yeah, and thanks again for, for joining and, and listening uh, to us. Yes, and you, uh, I will add to what you just said that uh, you should also go and check what, what podcast, right? So how many yes. episodes? <laughs> how many episodes do you have already? We, we have uh, seven uh, episodes published already. Seven episodes. 
publish and, and yeah if someone is is, is interested in, in like uh, talking to to me about uh, especially if you're from a data company um i'd love to you know chat with you and uh, if you want to be on the podcast feel free to reach out to me mm-hmm. seven See, episodes are live yeah so live it means that you recorded some which are not published yet right yes <laughs> yeah. can you tell how many there are there already Did well you... we have uh, three three more uh, already in the queue which are ready okay. to go yeah okay and stay tuned right yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks again for having me, Alexi. It was great chatting. Yeah, it was it was great indeed. A lot of information. I took so many notes, and uh, like with these tools, uh, yeah, I'll reach out to you later after yes. uh, after today to to get the links from you, and then I'll put them in the in the description. And um, yeah. yeah, thanks everyone for, for sure. joining us today for listening. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. We didn't get any questions, but. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of questions from me, uh, so uh, <laughs> okay. I kept you entertained. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, so, it was great. Uh, I always like chatting about this stuff. So uh, thanks yes. again, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll keep the conversation going mm-hmm. uh, in, on Slack. Definitely. Okay. Thanks Thank again, you. and. Uh,